this. So someone might have studied, might be great, but if they, they don't have love, it doesn't really amount to much. And so we liken that to a, to a band uh, that only played one note. Last week, we, we described love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. The ultimate idea there was that, that love is not self-seeking, but it, it seeks the good of others. And then this week, we, we finish out the series with, um, with a high and, and, and sweeping writing from the Apostle Paul, and I'll just read that to you. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So, uh, one of the things that's a pretty consistent reality in our life at, at this this stage, and we're we're getting almost to the to the end of it. But one of the um, the things is is youth sports. Youth sports is different than, than than school sports. So our kids are almost at the point where they move into into school sports. But um, but we're involved with a lot of youth sports, and I don't know if you've ever been to a youth sporting event. Um, I suspect unless you have a, a, a child or a nephew that you particularly care for or a niece that you particularly care for, you probably might not have attended a lot of youth sporting events, but we attend a lot of youth sporting events. And, and here's, here's the reality that you see at a, at a youth sporting event is that you will find um, a lot of kids who don't take the youth sporting event very seriously and a lot of parents who take the youth sporting event way too seriously. And so one of the, one of the problems with, with youth sporting events uh, uh, is, is, is found in the middle of that is that, well, sometimes even the kids, but there's, there's some kids and some parents who think that the, the youth sporting event um, is going to be a central and defining moment in their, in their life. And this doesn't depend, uh, or it doesn't matter what age, age group it is, you would think, uh, you would think that, that in in, in t-ball that it would not be that that serious but even going down to t-ball uh, true story my dad and i were coaching uh jeremiah in noah's i think i think it was those two uh t-ball team and uh we were playing a little t-ball game you need to understand that the the rules of the t-ball game were uh were were decidedly non-competitive um i think you were only allowed to take one base at a time uh, I think they might have that year switched to actually doing three outs. The year before, they just batted through the whole team. But there, there might have been, been three outs uh, that year, and uh, there was a pitching machine or, or a team. Uh, there was an incident during one of those where, where one of the parents became convinced somehow that we were trying to cheat their child in the t-ball game. Uh, and they started to yell it, and I was operating the, the one of the jobs of the coach is that you operate the pitching machine that... Uh, that pitches to the uh, to the to the team, and so I was out operating the the pitching machine, uh, and and the parents started to yell and scream at us, and I finally I stopped and said, "Are you really yelling at me during a t-ball game?" 
And then they sort of, they said, well, you're just cheating our, our kid. Da, da, da. And then we, we moved on. And then my dad, between innings, tried to go and smooth it over. And these people did not want for it to be smoothed over. They wanted, wanted the fight. And I just think that's a, a very interesting thing because, because I want to make this, this point to you that nobody really remembers who won any t-ball game ever, right? It, you might remember for a few minutes, you might remember, but ultimately in the, in the grand scope of, of the sporting world, your t-ball record really doesn't play into it. And I, I thought of this the other day, I was with a, we were at a uh, seventh and eighth grade uh, baseball game, and one of, the, one of the other dads said to me, he says, you know, I just keep trying to tell him, nobody really cares about your eighth grade record. And it, it's true. Like, no one cares how you did in eighth grade baseball. Like, you can't, uh, you can't stand on that. Like, if you're the guy who gets to, like, your, your post-high school career, and you're with another group of, group of guys, and you're out, and you're trading great stories about your athletic past, those stories should not be from your eighth grade baseball team, right? If, you, if the only story you have to, to share is from your eighth grade baseball team, you should just not share. Uh, this was brought into, into uh, uh, relief or into uh, focus for me. I remember once my buddy, uh, my buddy was, was preaching and another one of my buddies and I were there listening. He was telling these stories, these great stories about his, his football career and afterwards uh, my buddy Daryl says to him, really, what, uh, what position did you play? And he's like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't really play a position. That was mostly, uh, mostly stuff we just did on the, in the yard. I, I never played in, in school. Uh, so you just pretty much tend to share it. And I, I bring all of this up simply to, to make this point, is that people tend to, to, to um, or I find in youth sports, people blow it up and they make it huge. And the reality is that it, it really doesn't matter. Like, like middle schools aren't hanging up uh, uh, um, banners that say, you know, seventh grade uh, volleyball champion, right? Uh, they're not, they're not uh, hanging up uh, banners that, that say uh, uh, sixth grade 70-meter uh, dash champion. They're, just, they're not doing those sorts of things because the purpose of youth sports is supposed to be to develop so that you get better at, 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 these, uh, at these, these pursuits and so that your skills develop so that when you play and continue to play at a higher level, when it does start to matter, major, major quotes on matter, I get that in the ultimacy that, that, that sports don't matter. But when you get into things like high school where they do award trophies and where they do hang banners, the point of youth sports is to prepare to win a state championship in in high school, not to be the best, uh, the best seventh grade team ever. So I say all of that to say that I think it has kind of a direct, uh, a, a direct uh, illusion or, or a direct correlation with with our passage and what Paul is trying to say to us here in in First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse eight. And so we're just going to kind of work through them, and then we'll, as we work through, we'll come back and. Um, it makes some points. But Paul says love never ends. Uh, love is going to continue, and that is going to be the theme of this whole section, so we'll come back to it. But he says, But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. We need to kind of define those terms quickly. Uh, they're not uh, for, our, for our application. We don't want to go too deep with them this morning, but we'll just talk about that. Uh, prophecy in the, in the time of in the time of Paul, 
and to a, a lesser extent uh, in, uh, as, as, as the, we went forward in, in history, uh, they did not have the full scripture before them. They didn't have... Um, they didn't have the written word, so when the Church of Jesus Christ got together in in the uh, in the first centuries, there was no canon, there was no book they picked up. They did have some of the writings of Paul, but there's no guarantees that they would have had all of the letters uh, of Paul. And so there was an oral tradition, but there also had historically been uh, prophets. We know the prophets from the Old Testament, and there had been prophets in, in the New Testament. And the point of the prophet was was twofold. A prophet did two things. One thing that he did was foretelling. So we sometimes associate prophets with people who predict the, the future. Oh, he must be a prophet. He predicted the future. There is some of that some of that in what a prophet did. A prophet could say, this is going to come to pass. Uh, and, and he would use um, uh, the, the Spirit of God would inform him about what was going to come to pass, and he would say some of that. But also prophets did what is called forth-telling. So they not only foretold what was, but they, they forth-told. In other words, they were the ones who went and declared to the people that they needed to repent. They declared to the people that they needed to leave their sin. They declared to the people that, that they needed to, to change the path that they were on. And so the role of the prophets largely was to be steeped in, in Scripture, steeped in the, in, in the teaching, uh, steeped in, in, in all of that, and was to speak to the people of God and tell them where they had gotten off, off track. So in Paul's time in the church, they, they would have prophets, uh, especially since they didn't have the fullness of canon, and the prophets would sometimes bring a word from the Lord, either a, um, uh, I would think, less often, a, less often a foretelling, and more often a forthtelling. You need to repent. You need to leave this. I see this in, in, in your, your life. And so there were, there were prophets. The thing about these gifts that, that are mentioned is that in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and going on into chapter 14 of Corinthians, Paul is talking with them about this kind of giftedness. But the reality is, is that fights have broken out in the congregation because they're arguing over who's the better prophet, who has the better gifts, that, that sort of thing. And so um, I would say that at the very least, in the fourth telling sense, that we have some people who act prophetically in the church today, um, but probably in a different sense in which they might have acted in the church when Paul when Paul's talking. But uh, in, at any rate, the people are arguing over who's a better prophet or whether they have the gift of a prophecy. But prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. Tongues is a, is a gift given from, uh, given from, uh, given from God, uh, revealed first at, at, at Pentecost, uh, where people spoke and they, they heard, um, they spoke in their own language and they were heard in the language of another person. So uh, let's say I spoke French, you spoke Spanish. I spoke to you in French. You would hear me in Spanish at Pentecost. There is that manifestation of tongues. Other places, there seems to be a manifestation of tongues that, that seems to be a, a, a language wherein a person prays and they don't know what to pray. And so uh, those, uh, those prayers uh, come forward from them in, in, in a way... Um, uh, in a way 
that uh, is, is like just grunts and groans scripture refers to, but the Spirit intercedes on their behalf. Uh, and so they, they talk to God in, in that language. In the church in Corinthians, they, they seem to be, go, the church in Corinth, they seem to be going in and they seem to be, uh, to be speaking in these languages that were, um, would be what we would call unintelligible, like languages that we wouldn't recognize. And it was viewed as a, as a, as a spiritual gift there. Um, it's not in our purview to deal with that really this morning. I'm just trying to uh, define a little bit what, the, what they're talking about. And so there was this, this tongues sort of thing. Tongues would have been, been used in that time much similar to, to, to forth-telling prophecy. Remember, they don't have the fullness of, of canon. They don't have the fullness of, of the written word of God. They, they don't have those sorts of things. It is, a, it is a gift that has been given them spiritually. Uh, I tend to think that it was given predominantly for, for the purpose of evangelism. Um, I've heard stories that, that I believe to be, to be true of missionaries arriving in, in places and in situations where it was dangerous, not knowing the language uh, of the people, the people coming upon them, uh, the people about to, to, uh, to attack them, and the missionary beginning to speak and speaking to them in a language that they had not learned and that language being used not only to protect their life, but to be used for the conversion of those people coming, coming to Christ. Um, tongues is, is that. Uh, and then, as for knowledge, knowledge is a, is a strange one, uh, especially if you grew up uh, like I did in, in a Baptist congregation, or if you grew up probably in a... Um, in, in a traditional Reformed or a CRC congregation, our churches do not tend to be big emphasizers of, of spiritual gifts, what some might call the, the sign gifts, gifts like prophecy or, or tongues. Uh, and because we don't emphasize those things, um, because, or because we tend, the, the historic position tends to be something called cessationism. In other words, we believe that those things ended in, in the past. We don't talk about them sometimes when we, uh, we come on something and we read it. We don't know exactly what it's talking about. Uh, but in verse 8, where it says, ask for knowledge, uh, it will cease. We should not read that as, as for the ability to know anything, it will cease. Knowledge here is referring to a specific kind of sign gift uh, where, where, uh, where people in the congregation could speak into the life of another person in the congregation, and they could, they could speak those things uh, accurately. Uh, it was essentially a word from the Lord. Uh, in other words, brother, I see that you are, um, you are in sin and you should repent. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of Jesus using what might be uh, viewed as kind of a word of, word of knowledge. Jesus, when he's uh, in, in uh, John chapter 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. He says to the Samaritan woman, uh, go and call your husband. The Samaritan woman replies to him, I don't have a husband. Jesus replies to her, you're right. You do not have a husband. You've had five, and the person that you're living with currently is not your husband. She replies to him, I can see that you are some sort of prophet. It ends up with her acknowledging him as, as the Messiah. That was Jesus speaking a word into the life of a person. That's a word of knowledge and, and uh, happening in a supernatural sense in, in, in that way. So, uh, for our purposes, we don't need to drill down deep into any of that. I just want to give you an idea what they're arguing over. So they're arguing in the Corinthian church summer saying, I speak tongues better than everybody, and because I speak tongues better than everybody, I am better than everybody. And another person says, well, you might speak tongues, you might have that gift of tongues, but I've got the gift of prophecy, and I prophesied 
better than everybody. Look at the prophecies I've had, and they've, they've come true. Or look at the things I've said, and, and, and people have changed their lives. And another person says, but what about me and my words of, of knowledge? I've spoken words of knowledge into the life of a person. And when the person heard this, this word of knowledge, uh, they repented. And so they're in a big argument. And the thing is, their arguments are about stacking these gifts or putting these gifts in a place where they, they feel uh, superior to, to another. I am religiously and spiritually and in every way better than you. They, they've, they've sort of fallen off, off the, uh, the rails there. And Paul just wants to remind them. Tongues will cease. Prophecies, it's going to come to an end. And knowledge, it too, these words of knowledge, will come to an end. And then Paul's going to say this. He says, for, what, for we know in part... And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I came, became a man, I put away childish things. So he says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the idea here is this. He says, yeah, prophecies are helpful in a church where Jesus has not yet returned, where Jesus, we have not yet uh, encountered Jesus in the face-to-face since where, you, where Jesus has not yet come and, and fully consummated the new heaven and the new earth, it is helpful at times to have prophecy. But it's only partial because it can't tell you everything about who Jesus is. Only he can do that. We only know things in part. It's helpful in, in, in church at Corinth. It's helpful that you speak words of knowledge into one another's lives. It is helpful for now that you do that. But it's not complete because... It's based on you and your sinful and the new heaven and new earth has not come. And it doesn't reveal the fullness of who Jesus is. It says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. And so the idea here he's making is that there's coming a time when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, there will be no need. There will be no need of prophecies. And there'll be no need of tongues. And there will be no need of knowledge because those are only gifts that can give us partial, uh, partial revelation or partial reality or, or a partial view. And so they're helpful, yes, but they're, they're not complete. And then Paul says this, and I don't know uh, if Paul intends this to be a, a sneak diss, but it comes off kind of like, like, a, like a sneak diss. For those of you who don't know, a sneak diss is where, where you, you say something and, and you just say it. But, but, but you act like you're not trying to come at a person, but you really were. I don't know if that makes sense. But essentially what Paul, Paul, this comes off, Paul is just talking about, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things aside. Here's why it comes off a little bit like a sneak diss. Paul's saying, well, I left behind childish things. What's the implication for the Corinthian church? They're still childish. They still are in it. They have not allowed aside childish things. They have not put them, them aside. And so he, when he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. He's saying, I don't do that anymore. But you guys still seem to be in that phase. Uh, when I became a man, I put aside childish things. The implication is that the church at Corinth has not put aside childish things. In fact, they're still arguing over, over the less mature gifts. This goes back to now, let's go back for a minute to, 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 to T-ball, right? They, they, essentially, the Corinthian church is arguing about their T-ball skills. They're saying, when I was in T-ball, you wouldn't believe it, but I hit an inside-the-park home run. 
I would believe it. I've seen a lot of t-ball games. Everybody hits inside the park home runs because nobody can field the ball, right? So you hit the ball to the pitcher. The pitcher misses it, throws it to first. The guy at first misses it. You run to second. The guy at first throws it for some reason into the outfield. You run to third. The guy in the outfield is picking dandelions, doesn't even look at it. You run home. It happens all the time in in things like t-ball and younger baseball. But imagine a dude going, look at me. I'm the best t-ball player ever. That's immature. And that's what Paul's saying. Why are you bragging about your ability to prophesy? Why are you bragging about your ability to have knowledge? That's T-ball kind of giftedness. It's not even going to last. It's not what matters. See, he says, they're going to pass away. They're going to fade. They're not even going to endure. Love is forever. So he's elevating love as the enduring currency of the kingdom which Jesus will will bring. There, There is coming a time, and we believe as resurrection people, if Jesus came up from the grave, if he rose from the dead, if Jesus did those things, then the kingdom has broken in to our reality and our existence now. And if the kingdom is here, then we live out kingdom realities. If the kingdom is here, then we who know Jesus start to live as though the kingdom were present. Well, the currency of the kingdom, in other words, the, 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 what the kingdom runs on is love. And it's enduring. The kingdom... The need for prophecy is going to fade. In the kingdom, the need for knowledge is going to fade. In the kingdom, there's no need of of, of tongues. That's going to fade. But love is the enduring and forever currency of the kingdom. It's not t-ball stuff. And so the Corinthian church is bragging about their t-ball skills. And Paul's saying, "Why? why? Why are you bragging like that? That is childish. For now, verse 12, for now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, but then face to face. I want to make this point. It's not that that the gifts are bad. It's not that that, that prophecy was bad. bad. It's not that that, that knowledge is, is bad. It's not that tongues is bad. It's that they're mirror gifts. They help you to see better in the mirror. And that is valuable in this time and place for us to see better in the mirror, for us to see Jesus more clearly. They are gifts that help us to see him more clearly. But there's coming a day when the mirror is going to be, be shattered in the presence of the reality, where you will not look into a mirror to see Jesus partially. You won't look into a mirror to see Jesus, Jesus in, in a way that is kind of scarred and, and shaped by your broken humanity. You will not look into a mirror and see Jesus in a way that, that is shaped by anything other than the reality of who he is. And in that time, you won't need a prophecy and you won't need a word of knowledge and you won't need a tongue to, to, to grow closer to him. For you will be with him. You will know him. You will see him. You will behold him. You will be with Jesus and you will know Jesus as it says here perfectly. For the perfect has come. The perfect is Jesus. And when the perfect comes, you will see him perfectly. So it's not that there's a problem. Their giftedness is not a problem. They just don't realize that the point of their giftedness is to help people see into the mirror so that they can see Jesus better. But they're forgetting that there is a gift that's enduring, right? Because when Jesus comes, prophecy's done. We don't need prophecy anymore. When Jesus comes, we don't need words of knowledge anymore, right? In no sense, in, 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 in prophecy, we don't need to foretell or foretell, right? You have Jesus. 
He is the fullness of all that can be known. We don't need words of knowledge because I just said he's the fullness of all that can be known. We don't need people to speak directly into anything because all of those things help us see in the mirror better, see ourselves in light of Jesus better. They're useful, but when Jesus comes, they're useless because the mirror is gone. And we get to see the very face and person of Jesus and we get to know him in fullness. There's no word of prophecy that you can tell me that I will not in the kingdom already know. There's no word of knowledge that you can tell me that is going to help me to know Jesus better in the kingdom because in the coming of the kingdom, I will have the fullness of the Son of God, Jesus, the perfect, and I will know him perfectly. Verse, uh, continuing in verse 12. Now I know in part, but then I will know how? I will know fully as I am fully known. There's coming a day when, when, when we won't have to dig and scour and debate even in the Word of God. The Word of God is wonderful because it tells us about who Jesus is and it tells us about what God has done. But there is coming a day when we will not look into the book to know Jesus. We will look into the face of Jesus and we will know him as he knows us already. That's good news, but they, they don't see it as, as good news. They're arguing over gifts that help them look into a mirror better. So Paul's point here, starting at the beginning, is there's these gifts you have, you have, you have these gifts, and you're arguing over gifts that help you see in a mirror better when you could be expressing a gift that will never fade. Because even when Jesus comes, even when the kingdom is consummated, even when we see him face to face, love will continue to be the currency of the kingdom. I won't need your prophecy. I will not need your word of knowledge. I will not need you to speak a tongue or interpret a tongue on my behalf. I won't need those things. Yet I will, in, 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 in the future coming kingdom, in the consummation, I will love you and you will love me. And so Paul's argument seems to be, if the coming currency of the kingdom is love, why would we not live into the reality of the kingdom now? Love endures forever. Love is the gift that matters. Love is what we are to be known for. Love is what, what is the enduring, eternal, eternal uh, currency of the kingdom. None of those other things are. So that we know that when we see Jesus face to face, when the mirror is faded away, when we know him fully as we are fully known, three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul's thought process seems to be saying, why are you chasing t-ball gifts when you could start to live in to the beautiful reality of the enduring gift and currency of the kingdom? It's love. Why would you not do that? And so as we come to the end of the series, we said at the beginning, a gong can be a beautiful thing. A gong can be a beautiful thing if it's playing the right note with a symphony. That's the call of the church. And then last week we said, as, as you love one another, it's not going to be self-serving. You need to think of others. Sometimes love is going to, going to hurt. Sometimes love is not going to be returned. Sometimes things are not going to turn out the way you want them to. And then in this third section, Paul says, but love never 
ends. And so for every time you've loved and not been loved back, for every time you've loved and been hurt, for every time you, you made the attempt to put yourself aside and, and it ended poorly, I want you to hear this, that there is coming a time in history, in the end of all things, where Jesus himself shall descend, the trumpets shall sound, heaven will come down, the kingdom of our Lord God will be established on heaven, in heaven and on earth. In that place, in that time, there will no longer be any unrequited love. All of your love will be returned. You will be known fully by the living God, and you will know him fully. You will know Jesus, not like looking in a mirror, not like we know now. We're like, I'm going to love, and it hurts because I see that Jesus is worth it. I see it in the mirror, but we, we don't see that fully and we don't experience it fully. And, and, and sometimes it's a struggle, so we have to push through. There's coming a time when as sure as you can see the face of the Savior Jesus Christ, your love will be returned. Your love will be rewarded. Your love will be the very currency of the kingdom and your hurt will be no more. Your struggle will be no more and you will realize that love truly is the greatest and love truly is worth it and love truly is the currency of the coming new heaven and new earth and if it is the currency of the new heaven and the new earth, I want to start spending that currency now Tell Jesus comes. Listen, we all have gifts. We all have things that we do. Um, we don't talk about, about prophecy, tongues, and those things. But you've got gifts, right? Some of you play in the, in the band, and some of you work with the, with the children, and some of you do the, the stuff that's on the screen. And, and you do all kinds of things around here. And in everyday life, you, you care for people and you carry out gifts. And some of you have the gift of evangelism. And some of you have, the, have, the, have, have gifts of just special kindness. And you have all of these gifts. And your gifts are amazing. And your gifts are needed now because they help us see into the mirror. They help us see Jesus better. But I want you to understand that there's coming a time when the mirror will be no more. The only part of your gifts that's going to endure are those that are based in kingdom currency. Love is superior to your giftedness. So I'm not telling you to not use your giftedness. I'm telling you that your giftedness needs to be used in love. And my giftedness needs to be used in love so that we can help people see better into the mirror so they can see the reflection, but more than that, so that they can have hope that there's coming a time when the mirror will be no more and the very face of Jesus will be ours to see. And when we behold him, every hurt, every struggle, every bit of love that was never returned, it will be worth it all because we're going to see Jesus. Next is love. May we learn to love one another. Because if we know Jesus, we're going to be doing it for eternity.